and welcome to the Lead Pastor Podcast, a conversation designed to equip and inspire lead pastors. And I'm your host, Billy Phoenix. Have you ever wondered what your direct reports really think? Well, that is the whole reason we're talking about it throughout this series called What I Want My Lead Pastor to Know. So in this episode, we sit down with a good friend of mine, Rick Holiday, and we're discussing what your executive pastor really wants their lead pastor to know. So Rick, welcome today. We're excited to have you here. Thanks, Billy. Excited to be here. Well, Rick, um, your title here at North Point Ministries is Executive Director of Ministry Services. That could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So real quickly, tell us what you do and where and how you do it. Well, I think the simple way I say what I do is I do everything that Andy doesn't want to do. That's a good way. And frankly, neither do Lane, Bill, or Bob. And uh, so, but at bottom line, it's most of the business functions of the organization in our multi-site organization. We've decided not to decentralize some services like accounting and HR and IT and web development, and then a bunch of other stuff related to our TV program, our resource sales. And then over the years, I've become the construction, banking, insurance, risk management person. So all of those business back-of-house functions. And uh, interestingly, everybody else has had a different role on the team, but I've been here since we started 23 years ago, and I've done all of those things since we started and stayed in the same seat, which probably says that I'm just not competent to do anything else. (laughs) Or some uh, photos that I have of Andy from college have really come in to help me, and uh, blackmail is always a good form of job preservation. Seriously. Or I'll add in that you're good at what you do, and no one's going to let you do anything else. And so I, I'm going to take the latter on that one. Um, so, Rick, what you, in your sphere of influence, your job description, probably most lines up with a lot of other churches, what they would call their executive pastor. I want to ask you um, about your background and how you arrived into this role. Really interestingly, Billy, I got, um, and I use this word hesitatingly, but called to ministry when I was about 14 years old. And in, and the, the thing I remember being called into was this whole area of administration that never really did anything with it because the little church where I was in didn't even have such a thing. It had a pastor and a part-time secretary. But I went to school and got a business degree at Georgia State University in finance. And then I got a graduate degree in business information systems, so an MBA with a, an IT influence. And interestingly, along the way, the reason I made the joke about Andy and college photographs is uh, Andy and Louie and I and a few other people went to Georgia State University together many, many moons ago. And uh, while they went off to seminary, I was in grad school and then stumbled into a role in IT at First Baptist Atlanta that allowed me to develop systems for a lot of the areas that I became responsible for later on. And so I was in a similar role at First Baptist Atlanta 23 years ago when we left and ultimately started North Point. That's great. Well, as uh, we've asked in this whole series, we're asking different leaders in the church what they would love their lead pastor to know about their role. And so you're covering uh, our executive pastor roles, and you've got four great, great comments that I believe uh, are really important for lead pastors to know. I'd love for you to walk us through this. Kick us off with number one. Well, the first thing that that came to my mind when you asked that question is that um, I often have knowledge because of my training with an MBA and with business school skills that um, a lead pastor might not have with a seminary degree. And I recognize that 
there's all kinds of lead pastors and all kinds of executive pastors that have different skill sets. But um, generally, those two worlds don't overlap too much. And so since they aren't normally part of the lead pastor's role, the more I know about the strategy and the direction and the mission of the organization, the more I can add value. Sometimes the value is just to shut up and let things roll. Sometimes the value is to throw in a few key points of data that say, hey, have you thought about this? Have you approached this? Have we talked to this person or that person and help in the process? Yeah. You know, you make the point that because the arenas of expertise and knowledge and thought can be so different, I can imagine they're pretty easy to get siloed, right? So I'd love to ask you, in your relationship with Andy, how have you guys systematized meetings, conversations? How, how do you cross over into each other's worlds well so that he understands the tensions from your worlds and you understand the tensions from his? I think the the primary way that happens is through our leadership team and management team meetings and then one-on-ones. Um, and those establish the ground rules so that we understand who has what information. I, I think in ours, it's pretty clear uh, Andy is the communicator. I, I think he's the best communicator in the country. I think he's easily one of the five best communicators in the country. If you want to argue for yours, I understand that. And then Andy knows that I don't want to go on stage. There's other guys and gals in our organization that they get the chance to go on stage and they're like, you know, salivating dogs, put me up there. Let me, you know, because that's their thing. That's the way God's gifted them. I can communicate, but I don't enjoy it. I don't long to do it. I really like to be the back of the house person. So, and I'm not saying that Andy longs to be on stage, but he knows that's his giftedness. And I think he recognizes for me that my giftedness is in systems, systems development, um, technology, understanding solutions. I love to read and learn as he does. And since we have these complementary skill sets, I think he's largely been happy to say, Rick, go do what you do. And, And I certainly don't want his job. And not that there's a a wall between us, but there's a clear understanding of responsibilities where he knows I don't like to be micromanaged. I don't like to micromanage my employees. He didn't like to be micromanaged when he was when he had a boss that in the church world. And so I think that's helped us set up a, a system where we know each other's strengths and weaknesses and we allow each other to play into them. Yeah, and, I, and I've seen it, it work when when Andy says to you, go do and what you do, there's been moments where you've come back and said, well, based on the permissions that you've given to me, we need to do this. And that's a really critical point because it's really easy for a lead pastor to say, well, that's, you know, that's not something I worry about, so that's not going to be a factor in this decision. Whereas I've seen you guys work in that way where even Andy's had to show back up and say, I really trust what I've released you to do. One of the things we discuss often is a common value that we hold is the idea of margin in our organization. And any pastor knows that there are limited resources available. I don't care if you're the wealthiest church in the country or you're the poorest church in the country. You only have however many assets flow through your organization available to use on ministry. The question then becomes, how do you use those resources? And I would say to any organization, you should always leave some money or resources unspent so that you have an opportunity to take advantage of opportunities that come along in the future. And many churches fall in the trap of spending every dollar that flows through their hands. Andy's never been wired that way. I'm not wired that way. So consequently, he trusts me to say, hey, we're getting a little too close to the edge financially. And believe me, our edge is way further away from the edge than most churches. But we still have limits, practical limits of what we can do, how many people we can hire, how much money we can spend on program, how many opportunities we can take advantage of. And Andy's allowed me to be, that's that's basically my one-sentence job description, is keep the organization financially healthy. And so that's the primary thing that he looks to me to do. So 
largely he leaves us alone in that area. Obviously, I don't give him, unless he's asked for it, inf- uh, insights on the best communication style. Yeah. That's clearly his area of expertise. Right. That's awesome. All right. Uh, take us to number two. This is a good one. Uh, I wrote down, uh, please don't make a critical decision without letting me weigh in on the financial, legal, technical, HR, liability. I could go on uh, implications of that decision. And that doesn't mean I want to make that decision. It just means I don't want a decision being made in a vacuum. And I've seen lots of lead pastors that get a great idea. Um, there's even the occasional God told me to, which gives me shivers yeah. uh, moment. And you really would love to stick your hand up and say, could we talk about this before we do it? Because there are significant implications to what you have, uh, not just the complexity of the issue, but sometimes the timing of the issue. And um, I could tell you lots and lots of stories of lead pastors that want to run ahead, and they have such a, an authoritarian edge to them that no one really wants to stand up and, and say, hey, before we go, could we talk about this? And, and if they had had that conversation, their plan that was so preciously held would not have been derailed like it was in the future because there is some planning that has to come. Fortunately, this is an area, once again, where Andy does not deliver his messages based on what he hears from God on Saturday night. He feels like the Holy Spirit usually speaks at least three months in advance, and we know what's going to happen when it comes to communication. Yeah, and, you know, that that list that you read off, you know, when you think through, okay, what are the financial, legal, technical, HR, liabilities, that's typically a, a visionary, a creative, that's not first on their list, you know, as you said. And they typically show up with the idea, and then to come along behind that, um, is oftentimes what seems to be the point of conflict. And as you said, sometimes it's the, the complexity of, of taking a, a, what seemed to be a pure idea and then bringing all these other considerations into it. And sometimes it's the timing piece of it, as you said. Sometimes it just what the visionary would love, the lead pastor would love to happen next week really needs about three months of, of development time. That's right. And it depends on what the issue is. And uh, that shouldn't be the only consideration is the complexity and the, and the lead time that's needed, but it certainly should be a consideration. And uh, I would want a lead pastor to know just because we have a great idea doesn't mean we need to execute it on, on it tomorrow. It may be that it's an even better idea if we can think about it, plan it, execute it, research it, and we can come up with an even better idea if we'll wait for three months or three weeks or six months or whatever it might be. And we've sat on lots of decisions and waited uh, till we came up with the right way to execute on it. And I do think that uh, many times the fervor and the desire to win people to Jesus sometimes uh, trumps the the, the need to wait, to hold, to think, to process, to research, and find out what the right way to implement that decision is. And I think sometimes people think that is uh, quenching the idea, but I would like to think it, it actually enhances the idea. Now, I know you can wait forever. If an executive pastor wants to say, well, we don't have everything boiled down and polished and down to the last detail, then we should wait. We should wait three years before we execute on the plan. Well, no. The the world's changing too fast for that. But there is a reasonable amount of time that needs to be baked in and a reasonable amount of due diligence that needs to be done before we execute on the decisions that we make. Yeah, and that due diligence oftentimes ensures the durability of it all. That there's so many times a great idea comes flying through, everybody rubber stamps approval on it, and then we realize 
a couple of months in, you could realize that we don't have the money to to sustain this year over year, or uh, there's too there are too many liabilities that nobody stopped to take a look at. And this is where I love um, Jim Collins' principle here of fire a bullet when you can instead of a cannonball. Yeah. So fortunately for us and for many in our network, we have the opportunity to uh, ask a partner, hey, have you tried this? Or we have a chance to try something at a campus and try it on a small micro scale and see how it works, some R&D, if you will. And then see how it went, process that, make the process better, and then finally come back and roll it out for the whole organization. So there's lots of opportunities like that in any organization to figure out how to start small and then to finally launch the grand idea. And often, I think you'll find out that you'll have a much higher success rate doing it that way. Yeah. Um, I love your third point because it really speaks, I think, to the the heart and in some ways, ways that a lead pastor can care for a person that carries the pressures of your kind of position. Um, I love this one. Tell us what it is. Yeah. Management sometimes is a dirty word and, and, and management gets pitted against leadership oftentimes. I happen to think that um, great managers are great leaders. And uh, part of management deals with this. The third principle I wrote down was sometimes I just need to vent about the tensions in the organization, even though I know we can't change them. And I think everybody needs an opportunity to do that. I tell my direct reports, look, you get to vent upstream. I don't want you venting downstream. I don't want you to poison your team. So when you've got a frustration, come tell me about it. You know, let's talk about it. Let's process it. And I want you to do the same thing for your direct reports. They should be able to complain to you and know that it's a safe place. And if something needs to get done, you'll do it. But sometimes you just need to process. And lots of us do this at home when we come home, whether to your husband or to your wife. And you're just like, I just need to talk about this because this is a safe place. Well, Executive pastors need to do that with their bosses sometimes. They need a pastoral moment where the, the boss just says, okay, I'm listening. Yeah. And, and we may not be able to do anything. And I do think um, sometimes one thing that we may do, at least maybe this is just my personality disorder, is sometimes I think so desperately do we want to help and to um, complement the skill set of the lead pastor that we sometimes overprotect them from the real tensions that are in the organization. Right. And if the lead pastor doesn't know what's really going on in the organization, then he or she can't make great decisions about what to do in the organization. Now, there's a difference between that and dumping every little detail on their desk. That's what they hired you to do. You don't want to do that. But if you sense that there's a tension in the organization that's becoming prevalent and it's disturbing, you need to figure out how to talk about that at an appropriate time and an appropriate tone so that the, the lead pastor knows what is going on. Because if you don't, then you're guilty of withholding information that could ultimately come back and bite the organization. That's awesome. That's a good word. Um, the interesting label that a lot of executive pastors get is that sometimes they feel, or a lead pastor can think, my executive pastor is here to worry about the stuff that either I don't have time to worry about or I don't want to worry about. But there's an empathy gap that can happen in that a lot of times. And that is that uh, an executive pastor can walk through their ministry career thinking, I, I'm carrying all of this load and my lead pastor has no understanding, no empathy, um, no connection to the way I'm feeling in my life, but also too for the organizations, the liability organizations. And so are there, again, are there ways that you and Andy connect over that content? I would say the way we connect is um, in our random moments when we have one-on-one -on -one time. I, I, I'm privileged in that I knew his family as a, a late teen and, and college student. And so I'll ask him about in the days when his mom was with us, his mom and or his dad or his sister or 
how Sandra's family's doing or that sort of thing. So yes, that, and we have the benefit and, and, and I would say it's unique if uh, Andy and I have known each other for 40 years. And so we have a lot of relationship that even predates the North Point days. And I would say that's a super important thing to try to, I know you can't emulate 40 years worth of history, but you can try to find some personal common bonds where you have a shared love of music or technology or sports or hunting or golf or whatever it might be and and bring a, a humanity moment into yeah. into the process. And that's that's the things I think that end up building a bond and there's trust. Um, and so, uh, I you know, it's a compliment to me that Andy knows about Pamela and my kids and my in-laws and, you know, understands. And not that we all vacation together, but he knows. And I know about his and we ask about those things. I think that's super important to bond over those things. And then it naturally leads to, hey, did you know or have you thought about? And there's there's those human moments instead of those manager-employee moments. And I would say the more you can build those kind of relational bridges with each other, probably the smoother the whole enterprise will go. Rick, this last one's really good. Tell us what you have for number four. The thing I would want most lead pastors to remember is that I just want to use my skills to free you up to do your job um, to the maximum of your potential. And if I'm like most executive pastors, I don't want your job. I can work most effectively, though, when you don't want mine and you trust me to do my job. Rick, that's awesome. Let me ask you uh, one question just as we wrap up, just as an extra. What is one piece of encouragement that you would give to a lead pastor? And it doesn't have to be from the seat of an executive. It can be just from from Rick Holiday, believer, church attender, somebody right. that's, that's well-knowledged on the ways of a lead pastor. That's a great question, Billy. And I, I understand that because a lot of lead pastors— I think feel the weight of the world on their shoulders or the weight of their ministry on their shoulders and and many times feel like it it totally revolves around them and their ability to deliver a great message or be a great fundraiser or uh, recruit enough volunteers or whatever it might be and so and those are all super important things but I do think that um, some sometimes we just need to fall back and remember that Jesus was really clear. It's him that's building his local church. He said, he told Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And uh, I think sometimes we just need to sit back and relax and realize that it's Jesus that's doing the work to make his name known as long as we do our part and do what we have been called to do and are faithful to what we've been called to do, that that will be sufficient. Rick, that's awesome. Well, Rick, thanks so much for joining us today and for all you do to support our church and our community. We're just so grateful for all you do. You know, we hope you listeners today will share this podcast with other pastors that you know and and can go on and give us some feedback on future content as well. You know, our goal is to help you maximize your potential as a leader and ultimately to guide your church to its maximum potential as well. So until next time, thanks for joining us on the Lead Pastor Podcast. Hey, before we go, if you're a partner, check out the conversation guide to go with today's podcast on northpointpartners.org. If you're not a partner but want more information, click on the Explore Partnership link in the show notes.